The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. I'd like you to open your Bibles now, if you would, please, to Paul's letter to the Colossian Church once again, if you would return to that place in Scripture. And our study of the church continues today, and it will be our subject for several more weeks. And I want to preach about it because the church is central to the practice of the Christian faith. It's impossible to have Christianity without the church, and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be central in your life. I know that you expect it to be central in my life because I am the pastor of the church, but as we learn in these studies, we'll see that that every believer, not just pastors, but every believer is called to the assembly and to the work of the church. In the third chapter of this letter, the Apostle Paul wrote in the 17th verse, he said, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Well, Paul wrote that to the church, and if you're careful to observe, if you wanted to look at the entire context of that third chapter. This is about his teachings uh, for Christians in relationships of marriage and family and the relationship of Christians to their employers. And that is really the scope of your entire life. It is your family. It is your work. It is your church. At the head of all that is Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul talks about there. The church is the head of everything that we do in our lives. In Ephesians, the apostle wrote that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So he shows us that it is a special object of his love, and it is to the church that he gave the commission of the gospel. Christ's work in this world is done only through his church. It's the only way that God operates in the world today to get the gospel out and his work done. It's the church's responsibility. We don't find any instructions in the New Testament for any other way that God's work is done. Now, in our previous lessons, we learned that the church began with Christ. We investigated the origins of it, and we saw that it was during Christ's personal ministry that he chose 12 apostles. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that he put these apostles first in the church. That is the foundation of the church, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And this formation of the church and Christ's relationship to it is a, is a mystery that is revealed in the New Testament. There are Old Testament allusions to it. There are types and shadows of the church in the Old Testament. But the prophets under that Old Covenant were not clued into this dispensation of the church age that would be the interlude between them and the coming of Messiah's kingdom. And we have been living in this interlude for the past 2,000 years since Christ began the church. And again, I'll emphasize, as I will so often, it is through this church that Christ began that his work is done. And so if we desire to do the Lord's work according to the divine prescription, then it must be in the church. The church is not optional. 
But still, I know that there are some Christians that deny that. There are some Christians that neglect the church of Jesus Christ. You don't often see them in the assembly of God's people. But we do need to remember that the apostles left us with this all-important fact in Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. This is what the church is designed for. It is for Christ's glory. And that is the purpose of your salvation and mine. Our salvation points up to Christ's glory. So if you ever get the idea that salvation is all about me and that's all we worry about, no, it is for Christ, for Christ's glory. So we are to glorify him in all ways. And it's beyond dispute that the New Testament church is where Christ focused his attention in his personal ministry as he trained his apostles to do his work. And then, upon ascending into heaven, he left the apostles with the commission for the church, which is to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize them and teach them to observe all his commandments. This is the ministry of the church. And through this ministry, Christ is glorified. Now, I also want to reemphasize from the last message, and that is so long ago, I'm not even sure that you can remember anything about it. But in that last message, I, I, we talked about how in all of these contexts in which we see the church, we're talking about the visible assembly of God's people that are covenanted together in the gospel. That there is no teaching, there is no training, there is no baptizing, there is no discipling that's possible in a universal, invisible church. In fact, the universal, invisible church is a contradiction. A church is an assembly, and there are no universal assemblies. Well, today's topic is the church, um, the word ministry. Ministry is what we're talking about today, and this word ministry is derived from the Greek word diakonia, which means service. It's the root word from which we get deacon, and the chief work of a deacon is service. So ministry in general means the work that the church does in service to our Lord. And that's the way that we'll use the word in the message today. It is our work for the Lord. The question is, what is our ministry in the church? What does the church do collectively as a means of service to our Lord and Savior. Well, in the first chapter of Colossians, we have a great explanation of what the church is to do. And I remind you that the Pauline epistles are letters to churches and ministers of churches. Paul instructs churches about their service to the Lord. And when he wrote his personal letters to Timothy and to Titus, those were instructions for them as they worked in the church as the ministers of God's people. Now, if you look in Colossians chapter 1, we did combine this scripture reading for this portion of the service so that we don't have time, uh, don't take time to read it all again. But that long passage that I read was necessary because uh, Paul's letters are at times difficult to decipher. If you start in the middle of them, you're going to lose out on the train of thought that Paul has. Colossians, of course, is a, is a letter and the thoughts are intended to flow together. And if you look at verses 24 and 25, the impact of this statement is set up by the previous verses that acclaim the preeminence of Jesus Christ. 
In the 24th verse, Paul said his work was for the body of Christ, which is the church. And in verse number 25, he follows that with, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And this is the work of all ministries in the church. We are in the service of the exalted Christ to fulfill the word of God. And this work, according to verse number 27, is the recognition that we are the body of Christ, denoted by that last part of the verse, which says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, this is a great passage. It's sort of a compendium on the major areas of church ministry. And I don't know where we could find a better, more comprehensive statement on church work than what we find here. When we speak of ministry, I think we could easily say the mission of the church. Because the mission of God's church is ministry, service to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I hope in in the first two messages that we preached on this subject, you've seen the importance of the church in Christ's present economy The church is the way that he does his work in the world. There isn't any other organization that's been given the authority to do his work. But I do know, and you are familiar with, uh, what is called parachurch ministries. And they say that they are either doing the work of the church or they are assistants to the work of the church. But I don't find the concept of parachurch in the scriptures. There, there isn't anyone who has a mandate to do church ministry except the church. And I believe this idea of parachurch grows out of the misunderstanding of the nature of, church, of the church, and that's what we covered in the last message. All of the works uh, for the Lord that we are to do are to be outgrowths of the local, visible assembly of believers. And since there is nothing else in the scriptures but this local visible church, then there really can't be any God-sanctioned parachurch organizations, and hear me closely, parachurch organizations that work independently of the local church. And this is the reason that our church supports no ministries that are not headed up and controlled by local churches. It's the reason that we have no missionaries that are not connected to the local church because only the church has the authority. So New Testament churches, that is churches that are like faith in order to the New Testament, are the ones that are given the authority for the ministry of Christ. And these next messages are about this ministry. We, we are the ones, churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, that are charged with the responsibility of service, and we can only do what God tells us to do. We are ministers. We are servants of Christ. And as servants, we don't have the option of doing anything other than the work that Christ commanded. A servant doesn't choose his mission. The mission is chosen for him. Now, a servant is given an assigned task. Uh, It comes from a higher authority. He doesn't have the liberty to, to change the orders that are given from above. And in this case, when we talk about orders that come from above, we're talking about Almighty God, the Creator, who gave these orders. We don't have any authority to change anything that the omniscient, omnipotent God gave us to do. 
And I just want to make that very clear in the beginning. As Christians, we are not free to work outside the church. If we do, then we abandon the authority for the work. This means that believers should be attached to assemblies of God's people to carry out the Lord's work. Now, it's clear in this passage that Paul was made a minister to fulfill the word of God, which he equated with the body of Christ. The New Testament knows of no body of Christ except his physical corporeal body and his body, which is the church. So we must be attached to the church. And that's the unmistakable doctrine of the New Testament. God's work is not best accomplished by freelance Christians. We must work through the church and we must do the assigned work that God gave us to do. What is the work that God gave us to do? If I gave you only 30 seconds to think about that, most of you here, you've been in Berean for many years under me as the pastor and you already know what I would say is first on the on on the list of things that we, we are to do. What is that chief work of all Christians? Well, the number one primary work, the work above all other works, is to glorify God. Glorify God. And since we're talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief ministry of the church is this, and this is the point on your listening sheet today. Number one is the exaltation, the ministry of exaltation. It's the ministry of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And I read all of these verses to show you, to help us to see the preeminent Christ, that he is the purpose of all ministries. That's first on the list. And in one way we could say it's the only thing on the list because all of the works of the church will flow upward into this one supreme purpose. Now, in this, in this first part of Colossians, there is unmistakable exaltation. When I think of exalting God, I always think of Ephesians chapter 1. How Paul begins in that chapter with 14 verses. One long sentence that magnifies the work of Jesus Christ in redemption. And then I think of Romans chapter 11, that after expressing the electing grace of God and the great doctrines that... Paul taught the church at Rome. Um, he breaks out into a doxology of praise in verse number 33. But I don't think we find a better expression of the glory of Jesus Christ than we find here in Colossians chapter 1. In the 15th verse, who is the image? Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. I don't feel that I would shortchange you at all in this message if I stopped right there and spent all the rest of our time just camp on this and talk about what a great Savior we have. We could spend all of our time talking about Jesus Christ and what He's done for us, what a great Savior He is. And, and so it's hard to see 
how you justify diverting attention from Christ to pursue any other agenda. It's one of the reasons why on July 4th I'm preaching to about Christ instead of about America. It's hard for me to imagine substituting that for Jesus Christ. So I don't understand churches, for instance, that get into power struggles and they're torn apart by personal agendas rather than Christ. They're thinking about that rather than Christ, whether that is personal, whether it's political or social causes or anything that people decide to devote themselves to and give more energy to it than Christ himself. And preachers often have their own agendas. Many are just more interested in building their name and building a ministry for them rather than exalting Christ. Paul was a a great preacher. He was an outstanding minister. And he could have sidetracked if he wanted and built his own little kingdom with his followers. But he wrote to the Corinthians about magnifying preachers instead of Christ. And he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his agenda. That's the sum total of it. It was Christ. It was to hide himself behind Christ so that the Lord was all they could see. And so he never said, follow me because I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Or follow me because I'm the be all and the end all. Or follow me. Keep looking at me. Only for one reason would he say that was because of Christ. We know that he meant follow me because I follow Christ. Or follow me. As far as I follow Christ. But I'm afraid there are far too many ministries that are preacher ministries, not Christ ministries. Then you also have the problem of members of churches that are more interested in their personal recognition than exalting Christ. Through the years, I've run across many Christians and experienced with them that because they didn't get recognized for something, get their name in the bulletin, or someone gets more praise than them, then that's a source of anger sometimes. Dr. William R. Downing explains, he says, the church does not exist for the sake, interest, or convenience of either its members or society at large. Rather, its existence is for the glory of God in all things. God created all things for his own glory, including his church. Thus, the church is corporately to seek the glory of God in its worship, obedience, evangelism, fellowship ministry, and love of the truth. And I find that that last phrase, fellowship ministry and love of the truth. How do we exalt Christ? We can only do it by truth. And how do we know truth? Well, there's only one way to know truth, and that is God's Word. God's Word is truth. And, and isn't this Paul's cause that he stated here in Colossians chapter 1? He said the dispensation of God was given to him for the church to fulfill the Word of God. And we need to make note of that because Christ is the living word. He is all truth. There are plenty of opinions about truth and you'll meet people that have their own ideas of it. They have their opinions of who God is and what truth is. And you'll hear these opinions frequently when you talk to people about the Lord. But without exception, anyone's truth about God that is not supported by the word is false. And it ends up making a God in their image rather than man made in the image of God. 
Oh, the truth of God is revealed in His Word. We know Christ, we know God through the special revelation of the Word. And we exalt Christ by upholding the truth of God's Word. That is part of the primary function of exaltation. So now there are two important statements that I'd like you to make note of. And the first is that we exalt Christ by upholding truth. We exalt Christ by upholding truth. And the second statement is, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. This is what upholds truth. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul said, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It upholds truth. And I might add, that is a peculiar function of the church that does not belong to anyone else. Now, as I said in the beginning, God does his work in the world only through the church, and only the church has been given responsibility to uphold truth. So there is no greater uh, proof that the church is critical to Christianity, and no greater proof that separated individuals, when I talk about the freelance Christian, separated individuals cannot be the support pillars of truth. It takes the body of Christ to support the truth. So this is the the reason that many parachurch organizations that held on to truth for a while gradually slip into various forms of apostasy. The longer they stay outside the church, they have no foundational support. And then I know of many television ministries, preacher ministries, in which a preacher seemed at one time to uphold the truth, but because they have their their own agenda and because they're working outside of the church in their evangelistic ministries or whatever they might be, and they work without church authority, they eventually descend into heretical doctrine. Nothing upholds truth but the church of Jesus Christ. And there are many ministries like this, Their ministries of men, the longer outside the church, the further they get away from the truth. There is no other pillar and ground of the truth but the church. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians about the church in the second chapter, beginning of verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, and whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And then here in our text of Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. So Jesus Christ then, isn't He? Then the support stone of truth. And the inspired word of God written by apostles and New Testament prophets, those are the adjoining stones that build the superstructure. Truth is not speculative. Truth is not subject to personal whims. What is truth? Truth is the word of God. John seventeen seventeen. sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So when God speaks... His word is truth, and God has spoken. God spoke through the prophets, through the apostles, and gloriously 
through the incarnation of His Son, Jesus Christ, as we read in Hebrews chapter 1. God's words are found in Holy Scripture. Our instructions for the Lord's church are taken only from the truths of the Word. Jude wrote, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You'll take careful note that contrary to the teachings of Roman Catholicism, the church does not give authority to the word. The word gives authority to the church. And so this means that the church doesn't have the authority to alter Scripture. We can't change anything in the Scripture. We're not at liberty to modify it. We don't have anything that we can substitute for it. We can't neglect any part of it. And let me say this, and stay here for just a moment, that there are so many people, when they hear the word church, the thing that comes to their mind, they equate the Christian church with Catholicism. And they think of the pomp and the ceremony and the regal robes of popes and cardinals and bishops. And they think that the pope speaks for the world of Christians. And yet Roman Catholicism has done more to reject the authority of Jesus Christ and the scriptures than all the world's religions combined. And we find Catholicism filled with myriads of changes to the scriptures... They don't accept the exclusive authority of the word. And so theirs is a ministry of alteration, not a ministry of exaltation. And the result of this is they steal the glory of Christ and give it to men, to popes. They're guilty of mass thievery and taking the glory that belongs to Christ alone. And they give it to prelates and bishops and the magisterium and to saints and angels or anything that gives them power over the people. Papal bulls, their, their councils, their encyclicals, encyclicals, they usurp the authority of the word and thus the authority of Christ. And this is where we get that whole system of the mess of the mass and mariolatry and the indulgences and the confessional and reprobate rosaries and many of their sacraments. And then likewise, we go down the list and we find Mormons and others that reject the singular authority of the Word of God. And they place no value no value on the Word since the Word can be negated by false prophets. If there's anything that they do or others do that countermand the commands of Scripture, then the Word has no authority. But the Word, I mean this very Bible itself tells us that this is what we tenaciously hold on to. This is the only thing that we have that came from God. This is the only writings that that rules our faith and practice. So we tenaciously hold on to it. It's what we defend. And as Jude said, we must earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. You're not going to find something new. It's all been recorded in the Word, and the Word is all that we use. So Jude couldn't have had anything other in mind than what was revealed once for all to the prophets and the apostles under the gracious influences of Jehovah God, who is Jesus Christ. We know this God and his Son, who is God, only through his word. Now the scriptures tell us that it is the word that makes us wise unto salvation. It says by the word we are born again. It's the word of God that sanctifies. It's the word of God that makes us holy. And then it says without holiness you shall not see God. 
And then what does the word do? It exalts Christ. Now today we read Colossians chapter 1. And the word says Christ must have the preeminence. And then the scriptures also tell us about the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of Christ. There is no work that the spirit does that's more important than this. He is called the spirit of truth. Jesus told the disciples that he wouldn't leave them in this world without support. When he left, he said, I will send you the spirit of truth. And what does the spirit of truth do? I want you to listen carefully so we don't mistake what the Holy Spirit is all about. Jesus said in John 16, 13 and 14, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Listen, for he shall not speak of himself. But whosoever or whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and will show you things to come. And now listen to his purpose. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. And this is what the Holy Spirit always does. He always exalts Christ. He exalts the work of Jesus Christ. And this is the reason the Holy Spirit is in the church. That is our ministry. To exalt Christ. And he is the power behind it. The church then is the pillar and ground of the truth. It's the depository. It's the keeper of truth. And what an awesome responsibility that is for us. Because it's by the truth. Only by the truth that souls can be saved. No one's ever saved by believing a lie. And so if we don't faithfully and diligently guard the truth. Satan sneaks in. And seasons it with error. Satan is subtle. He never comes and just overtly overthrows truth. He doesn't come into the church and suddenly with upheaval destroy all of our belief system. No, what he does is sprinkle untruths here and there. He puts just enough truth to keep people confused. Now his first deception in the Garden of Eden was to manipulate truth. It's kind of interesting that Satan started with an exaggeration of self-importance. He tempted Eve by saying, if you will eat of the tree, you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, that was a half-truth. Yes, they would know good and evil, wouldn't understand it very well, but they wouldn't be gods. You know, that whole thing's kind of interesting when you compare it to the teachings of the Word of Faith movement. Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen, many of the charismatic ministries are part of the Word of Faith movement, also known as Name It and Claim It. And one of their teachings is that believers are little gods. And they say that Christians have the power to claim what they want and take it because they are little gods. And if they have enough faith, they can command and it will be. Well, that's a serious misinterpretation of several scriptures. They believe they are little gods. I heard Joyce Meyer say, she does not sin, which in fact is a lie, and all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Jesus said there's only one that's good, and that is God. So if you find somebody that's good and doesn't sin, they must be God. And so this supports her little God doctrine. If I'm a little God, I can't sin. Well, I want you to know... That the word of God is way ahead of all of that. 
The scriptures already explained these things and this thinking in Genesis chapter 3. When Satan said to Eve, God knows. Eve, God knows in the day that you eat of the tree, you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. But if you exalt self to be God, you steal the preeminence of Jesus Christ. You, you have stolen his exaltation. You can't be a child of his and do that. But this is what Satan does. He sneaks in and he peppers the truth with lies. And so do you see what the church must be? We have to be on guard against that. We are guardians of the truth. God put us here to uphold truth because as soon as truth is, is, is destroyed, so is the exaltation of Christ. And you can't take away the truth of Christ because God is glorified only when he is known to be all that he is. So what must the church do? It must stand on the truth and at the same time reject all heretical teachings. John wrote, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now I take that scripture and someone asks me, why are you so hard on Joyce Meyer? Why, why do you speak against the Roman Catholic Church? Why don't you just agree with everybody who says, well, we're all working for the same place. There's truth in all religions. And that, in fact, is the whole problem, folks. There is truth in all religions. Now, maybe you're surprised to hear me say that. Yes, there is some truth in all religions. But that's not a good thing. The most dangerous deception is to have some truth, but not the whole truth. Muslims have some truth. Buddhists have some truth. And of course, Catholics have some truth. And who else has some truth? Didn't Satan quote the scriptures to Christ? He spoke truth, but he misapplied and manipulated truth. So other religions have some truth, but it's just enough truth to send you to hell. And this is the reason we must be on guard against false teachers. This is the reason I would stand here today and, 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 and identify Joyce Meyer as Jezebel and Joel Osteen as Ahab. I mean, the ultimate test for a false teacher is what? The doctrine. Examine the doctrine. Now, do you know what, what Paul said in Ephesians after talking about the foundation of the church, which is the prophets, the apostles, and Christ. And he said in the fourth chapter that God gave apostles and pastors and teachers for the purpose of building you in the faith so that you have correct knowledge of the Son of God. He said we must come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. And then he wrote that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. This is what the church must do. It must remain the pillar and ground of the truth. And so God placed his people together in the church to uphold truth. And that means not only the positive aspects of teaching the Word of God, but also the negative aspects of identifying false teachers and their false doctrine.
Can real Christians be led away by false teachers? Of course they can. Otherwise we wouldn't have such strong warnings in the scriptures to be on guard against them. Paul told the Ephesian elders, wolves will enter the flock, not sparing them and draw disciples away from him, after them. So when disciples are led into error, then they cease being a part of a body that upholds truth. And every degradation of truth is an exaltation of error. And every error takes away from the glory of Christ. So this is the reason I must talk about false teachers and tell you, here's why we don't work with them. Here's why we don't approve them. They don't exalt Christ. Now, when, when, when Satan tempted Eve, that little God doctrine was born. And in that sense, you can say, well, the little God doctrine is scriptural. It's found in the scripture. But it's also found to be one of Satan's biggest lies. So we must properly interpret scripture to know truth. And then I also want to mention, we hear so much of this today about self-exaltation. And, and that's part and parcel with the same doctrine as little God's. Teaching self-esteem, elevating self-worth is, is just another way for Satan to get you to take your eyes off of Jesus and focus on you, the little God. And that's a very popular religion because who wants to think anymore, who wants to do anything else but focus on self? We're all tempted to do that. So this is one of the ways that the exaltation of Christ is destroyed. The more you think about self, the less you think about Christ, the less you think about others. So in this message, I, I wanted to get us off on the right foot about what the ministry of the church is geared to do. Every work of service we do in the church glorifies Christ. When you, when you speak of the gospel of Christ, he, he's glorified because as we preach the gospel and people are saved, there are more that are made into his image and repurposed from self to exalt Christ. When you're kind and compassionate, you exalt the character of Christ. If your ministry is caring for others, you fulfill the law of Christ. And let me just give you briefly the teachings on that. In Galatians 6.2 it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And way back when I was giving you sermons out of Second Thessalonians and the order in the church, we looked at that very briefly, that the law of Christ is the two great commandments. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your, your, your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. So when you exemplify the life of Christ in you, in your, in your daily habits and living, you exalt him. And likewise, every obedience to every command of Christ is to honor those commands that he gave as just and holy and good. And it points up to Christ as the ideal man that everyone should model themselves after. And it points up to Christ to be exalted because he is both God and the superior man. And we can go through every ministry of the church and we find similar ways that Christ is glorified. The preaching glorifies Christ. Should. Songs that we sing, we choose them to glorify Christ. Now let me pull all this back together with the necessity of the church to uphold truth. Christ is the living word. The word is truth. 
And so we must be a church whose foremost ministry is truth. And we must be careful that we don't go beyond the word of the Lord, and neither do we fall short of it. We must guard truth at all costs. Truth, or the church is entrusted with this ministry. It's the highest order. All else flows into this as all rivers flow into the sea. So I think this is worth spending our time on today. I haven't done more than just scratch the surface of the topic. I mean, if I did try to list all of the reasons that Christ should be exalted, I couldn't. Uh, We'd never have time to talk about any other subject. Uh, The Apostle John said the world can't contain all the books that would be written about what Christ, who he was and what he did. You You couldn't have a library big enough to contain all of that. So how do we find time to do anything else but exalt him? That's the most important work of the church. It's our mission. It is our ministry. All subpoints. And these continuing sermons will all come back to this. And after having said all that, I feel somewhat like the Apostle Paul, who in the book of Romans was caught up into that hallelujah moment after all that good doctrine that he gave the church. He interrupted himself for that hallelujah moment right in the middle of what he was writing. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompense unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. To Christ be glory forever. Are you thankful for Jesus Christ? Are you blessed to be in a church that places a premium on the word? We won't abandon the Bible because that's what we're sworn by the Holy Spirit to uphold. Truth exalts Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again we thank you for this blessed privilege of standing in the pulpit today to speak the word of God. I don't know how eloquent that it was, and neither do I expect that anything that I would say eloquently or ineloquently is the major issue. It's your Holy Spirit that takes the word that's preached, and when it's preached in truth, you use it to convict the heart. You use it to show us what we should do, how we should live, how we are to magnify Jesus Christ. And if that was put before the people in and, and the way it should be done, then I just pray, Lord, that we take it to heart and we very clearly understand what you've given this church to do, that we dedicate ourselves wholly to the, your service, to your ministry. Lord, help us to do that. And though I know we've all at times been neglectful of it, uh, I just pray, Lord, you'd give us a new heart to reinstill in us the desire to, to do your work and your will. Thank you for these people. Thank you for, again, the word of God that we've read today. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would use it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California.
If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.